Welcome to the Digital Marketing Masters podcast with Matt Ross. Greg Moyer is here to talk about AI. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and this is my guest, Greg Moyer, today. How are you, Greg? Fabulous, Matt. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Greg Moyer, CEO and founder of the Inventive Guild, leverages his 25 years of experience in Silicon Valley and exceptional abilities in inventive thinking to initiate a global community of innovative minds. Greg is committed to empowering professionals and entrepreneurs with the creative prowess needed to remain indispensable in an age of AI. I wanted to have you on the show to talk about a couple things, but I think when we were talking before the show in the green room for a bit there, one thing that really struck me is you were talking about your new presentation that you've been doing, seven things you don't want to give up around your creativity, especially as we're entering the AI age. Let's just talk about that first, because I think it's super important. Sure. As a longtime creative director myself, I've, I've tried to go into this new age of AI with eyes wide open and, and have discovered seven consequences really of surrendering your creativity to AI. And the, the first that's obvious is just the loss of personal expression. You know, creativity is really the essence of who we are. It's our unique imprint on the world. And if we outsource that, we really risk losing our voice. And, and then one that is really already at play because of us being addicted to smartphones, but it'll only get worse with AI and that's dependence. Relying on AI for creativity is gonna lead to this dependency when already, you know, our brains are wired to take shortcuts and find the easy way out. And we're already seeing that the more people become dependent on any technology, but you know, especially something like AI, then they're finding themselves less able to create without the assistance of AI. Right. And then one that is kind of the big gorilla in the room that's not talked about is the psychological effects that create filter bubbles and echo chambers that can lead to feeling feelings of isolation and anxiety and depression. And with the increasing prevalence of AI-powered devices, people will become even more addicted to technology, leading to symptoms such as the ones that I just mentioned, including sleep disorders. And, you know, as we kind of think about this for ourselves, you know, it's natural to say, well, I don't have that problem. But right. when, you look at the, when you look at the numbers of of people that are now seeking counseling for it. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny is there's a lot of people who either don't have access to, or for whatever reason, can't get access to counseling or help with depression and things like that. And they're actually talking to the AIs about it. When an right. AI is not a trained counselor, right? That, that, that's right. And, and interesting, you bring that up. I was just reading this morning about an educational assistant called, I think it's called Miko and they're building in not emotions because, or, or empathy, because that's almost impossible to recreate because in a human brain that's generated chemically, right? They are 
trying their best to simulate it. And, uh, you know, which, which kind of leads to one of the next consequences that, you know, AI doesn't fully grasp nuanced human experiences and things like emotions, right? Subtle humor, irony, the things that make us human. And these subtleties are often essential elements of creative work. And, and if anything, it really, one of the things that I've learned just in, in experimenting with some of the AI apps is it really doesn't understand or is able to execute my exact creative vision. You know, right. it might throw back some ideas but, or some examples, but how you get to a final output is almost impossible at this point. I obviously it's probably going to get better over time, but yeah, well, that's one of the things with, I mean, we can talk about how it's going to get better in the future later in the show, but I think one of the things that you touched on was this kind of outsourcing your creativity and this dependence on the mm -hmm. technology because it is a shortcut. Your brain's always looking for a shortcut, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Another thing that our brains really like to do is once we have discovered the answer to a question or a problem or we have a procedure in place we don't want to think about it anymore because we've already <laughs> solved that problem right that's right that's right and if the problem is i need to write an email to my vendor about this thing and you use the ai to do that a few times you don't think about writing those emails anymore. You just use the process that you have in place. That might be a good thing. I mean, it saves lots of time, but in some cases it may not be a good thing, right? Because when I write a letter to one of my clients or something or an email, I'm saying whatever the information that we need to communicate is, and I hope you're doing great and the kids are out of school. So if you're busy, you can always hit me up later if you need to. So, because like you said about nuance and stuff and empathy, Mm -hmm. there's some communication pieces in there that the AI is not going to have any idea about. Exactly. And, and so what we've done at that point is, is not just surrender our creativity, but surrender our authenticity. Right. Yeah. The other and, thing is, this is one I think everyone really overlooks and his name escapes me at the moment, but I was watching a video by a music producer on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how nobody uses analog recording equipment anymore, right? Mm. Everybody mm -hmm. records on a computer. Mm -hmm. They don't use effect pedals. They just turn the effects on in the computer, mm -hmm. right? They don't put stuff on the microphone or whatever. They just put it on after the fact in the computer and everything's done in the computer. So it all sounds computerized. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. artists are going, well, wait a minute you can't have a computer make my song and make my voice. And well, you computerized the whole thing. Right? <laughs> so funny. you've given away all of the keys to the kingdom and then said, well, you guys can't break into my castle. Right. <laughs> That's right. And you know, I was around, I've been around for a while. <laughs> I was around back in the eighties when drum machines were invented mm -hmm. and it was it was novel, right? Right. But it, it never really sounded right. And right. Th then in the early 90s, I believe it was around the early 90s, this company called Lynn Drummer came out with this thing that they called quantizing. 
And one of the reasons why drum machines never sounded right, it wasn't that the drums didn't sound good. The drums, we can recreate a drum sound electronically right. pretty closely. But it was just, it just didn't sound right. And Lynn Drummer came out with this, this concept called quantizing because what they realized is that the drum machines were too perfect. Right. And what quantizing was, was taking the beats and the, the drum strikes and, and whatever, the sounds, and just offsetting them just a little bit like a human would when they play. Because drummers don't play in perfect time, singers don't sing in perfect time, and guitar players don't play in perfect time. And our ear is really attuned to that, partly because our ears or our brains, I should say, are tuned to the human voice, which has all kinds of subtleties, right? right? And we're seeing the same thing with modern music, just as you were talking about this musician or the producer, that the new electronic music, and it's all digital. First of all, our brains are so attuned to natural sounds that it can quite often tell the difference. Right. Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously between the little jagged edges of the sound wave of, of a digital device versus the smooth right. sound wave of an analog. Or if device. you're in an auto tune or something, you can immediately like just pick it up. Oh, if totally. you listen to any analog music ever, especially on yeah. vinyl or another platform like that that's a direct right. or flack or something. But yeah, I see like digital voices, like the one that read your intro earlier, which you mm -hmm. haven't heard yet because I put it on after the show. <laughs> mm -hmm. But those 11 Labs voices and some of the other ones, they're not perfect, but they're really close. They are you really can still close. still tell. You can still tell, right? And just like you were saying with music, someone can tell the difference between a live recording of music and a digital recording of music. Right. Or going to see a band play live versus listening to a recording because, you know, the drummer might be like getting slightly ahead of the beat and then the bass player is trying to follow that person and then trying to correct the drummer. And then so the drummer then slows down a little bit, which makes the bass player slow down a little bit. And you get all these like tiny kind of movements in live music. Mm hmm. That you just don't get with digital music because in digital music, everything's it's perfect and it's even if it's made to have imperfections, the imperfections are standardized, right? Exactly right. I, I actually was going to bring that up. You're, you're spot on about that. And so what's happening is even with the imperfections being standardized, what we're seeing is we're seeing the bar may be rising, but, but the bandwidth of the bar is staying the same. So everything is still... We, in a lot of the circles I run, we, we call it the race to mediocrity. Right. Yeah. And, for sure. and, you know, you were talking about recreating the human voice, which made me think of deep fakes and like where the movie industry is, is in being able to create humans like extras on screen right. and not have to pay extras, which is what one of the big strikes is about right now. Right. And this, one of the other consequences in this laundry list of, of, Thanks for surrendering your creativity to AI are the legal and ethical considerations. You know, who owns the work? That's right. And it's getting really messy and complex. I think we need to tread a little carefully as the, the lawsuits are just already 
lining up in yeah, the court. I don't, I don't think that there is any structure to the law currently that is made to understand the consequences of what's going to happen. Hello, fellow humans. It's the digital versions of your host, Matt Rouse, and I am dropping in on the podcast to tell you about a timely book that the human Matt Rouse has written called Will AI Take My Job? It is a bleeding edge look at what is happening with AI. In the book, he talks about which jobs and industries AI is going to disrupt. He also focuses on strategies you can use to improve your chances of staying out of the unemployment line with the other organic primates. Whether you work for a large organization or are self-employed, you should read Will AI Take My Job. Take it from me, Matt's digital avatar. Come to think of it, I may not need him around much longer. Take music, for example. This is actually, I was having this discussion with uh, my neighbor who actually works in the music industry and he like writes courses about songwriting and stuff and he works with choirs live and he tunes pianos and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was having a conversation with my wife and him and the interesting thing is if you take an artist who's passed away, who owns their voice, right? Do they own their voice? Does their family <laughs> own their voice? Does the record company or the production company who distributes their music own their voice? Like, if you train their singing voice on music the record company doesn't own, do you then own that? If I make mm-hmm. an original song with someone who's deceased and their music is out of copyright is that now my voice that i can use whatever i want right Right? like these are all questions that don't have answers right right yeah and it's because i mean the same thing happened when they first started recording music right once you got past the player piano where people just do 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 do, and it would record it on the little wheel well after that when you could start recording voices and stuff there was no laws for that there was no copyright law Mm mm-hmm so it's, they're going to have to figure it out, but man, I don't see how you can get around this stuff. Like putting extras in movies. Like what about the extras in animated movies? They're not extras. Nobody's paying the the squirrel to run behind the, the cat in the story, <laughs> That's right? right. That's, and, That's right. But yeah. you can make a photorealistic human in Unreal Engine, the video game engine, and have it walk and talk. Like That's right. You don't have to pay them. You don't pay extras in video games. So well, I don't think... I'm, didn't mean to interrupt, but I was going to say, and apparently what I was listening to one of the SAG actors who was talking about the strike was mentioning is the film companies pulling faces from earlier films to put on 3D generated bodies. Right. <laughs> you don't need to do that, right? You could just you can just make faces now. I don't yeah. know if you've looked at any. I'm, you're probably not a big video game making person. I used to. I mean, I still make video games now in my spare time, so I follow this stuff. And I mean, you could make photorealistic photos, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's one that was going around the internet that I don't even think the news had come out and said that people had discovered that it was fake, and it was like these quote Budweiser girls <laughs> that. Or like like the original kind of Budweiser girls that would wear the one piece bathing suits that made mm-hmm. up the Budweiser label from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Used to like print posters of them and stuff for teenage boys, right? That kind of thing. Somebody made one in Unreal Engine and it went around the internet. Nobody noticed the difference, right? Yeah. 
Wow. And making the people walk down the street is not a big deal with a 3D model. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I disagree with the Screen Actors Guild. I think they're right. I think people should get paid for their work. I don't think that studios should just make these massive budget movies and keep all of the money right without paying the people yeah. for their likeness rights and that kind of thing. But I don't think there's any way around it. Like, I think they're going to do it. If you're making cars on the assembly line and you put a robot in that does the work of four people, they can go all day long and say you can't lay these people off or whatever. They can go on strike or whatever it is. They'll just put more robots in. I don't, well, and, and I don't we're, see how it's possible, right? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We're seeing it across multiple in industries right now. We're seeing it in fast food. Right. You know, McDonald's came up in a conversation with someone the other day. The the digital ordering monitors, you know, you walk into a McDonald's and you order on a monitor. They don't have order takers at the cash registers anymore. I walked in a store the other day and it didn't even have one. It had a little window where you picked right. up your food, right? And well, if you think about it, that probably reduced the crew by about three to four people per shift times two shifts a day. If you do the math across 38,000 McDonald's stores, that's about 240,000 people. Yeah. Well, in Southern yeah. California, I think it was five or six years ago, they were having the order when you go to the drive-thru, the microphone goes over IP technology to a call center where the person types in your order and that goes back through the internet to the kitchen <laughs> because it was too expensive to have someone who works in California to take your order. Yeah. And oh, wow. now they're just doing it with a chat bot, right? Right. Chatbot just talks to you. And you see all the videos of people's either order gets screwed up or whatever. But you don't see the video of the other 85, 90% or whatever it is of people who had got their order right and they never noticed. Right. Right. And that's just going to get better. And honestly, yeah. do I need somebody to stand around in, in the sweltering summer heat all day taking right. yeah. quarter pounder orders or whatever it is? Like, I would rather that person do something they like to do. And well, and now hopefully we, that's not being an extra in a movie because they're going to have a yeah. problem. Well, Sorry. one of the things about X, this whole, this whole going back to this film industry thing is half the extras, about half, we don't even see their face because they're walking right. away from the camera. <laughs> that's right. So, so it's not like everyone who's an extra is on camera. It, their identity is, right. is, is seen right is on camera they're like if you take a city street scene well you've got probably as many people walking away as you do walking toward the camera right and and yeah and so much of that can just be generated digitally now and um, the movies are already digital like when the superhero jumps out the window and flies across the thing. It's not like the actor actually did that, right? I mean, it's a hundred percent digital. It's all CGI. That's right. right. And, yeah. and, and like, it's funny. They call it, they used to have these like CGI workstations back in the day. Like if you go back and look at the original Tron movie, which you mm -hmm. probably remember that oh, was yeah. the first hundred percent CGI like the hundred percent CGI scenes in movies, as far as I know mm -hmm. anyway. And, you know, by nowadays standards, it's terrible, but you know, that was a big thing back then. And it also had electronic music, right? With the drum machines right. and right. synthesizers and all that. And man, they were right. Like 
that's the direction it's going in. And that prediction was correct from the 80s, right? Yeah. Well, and then the new version of Tron, mm-hmm. about the only thing that wasn't digital were the faces that they plastered on the, right. you know. On, now the faces in the, the models. and that, That's that's right, yeah. When I say model, I don't mean model like the person was a model. I mean a computer model. No, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's right. So let me ask you something. I know we've we've kind of gone down the AI rabbit hole a bit about mm-hmm. but also i wanted to talk a bit about productivity mm-hmm. because yeah ai can make stuff faster and that kind of thing but one of the things that i know that you talk about a lot is distraction proofing your life mm-hmm. and i actually wrote in a couple of my previous books about the switching cost when you get mm-hmm. distracted and everybody's now they're working at home so their cats on the monitor and their kids pulling on their sleeve and you know the delivery guys at the door and whatever else is going on so do you have some tips for people to like kind of distraction proof themselves i do so over the just during the what 30 my 30 or tenure in silicon valley one of the superpowers that i developed really out of necessity was to become distraction proof. And so I paid really close attention to what worked, what didn't, what others were doing. And, and, and a, a, a lot of what I learned is really also in alignment with how to set yourself up to be able to get into a flow state. Because no matter what level of flow state you're in, there's a few different levels, any level is better than just sitting around waiting for the next Facebook notification, right? right? <laughs> so turn off your notifications, people. Yeah, there you go. Say, well, that's one of them. Off. But but first and foremost, protect your attention as your most precious asset. It's really hard to do, but take that what I just said and post it. Post it on a wall, post it on your monitor until it's burned into your brain. I'm not going to go into all the numbers, but right. here's the big one. Just an American in, in with American businesses lose about $650 billion a year in lost productivity due to distractions. I believe Think it. about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just insane. The number one distraction right now Right here. Right. This is it. I saw a guy on YouTube once. He called it the screaming box. He said the screaming (laughs) box in your pocket will never shut up. And it's true. I've written, I think, six business books now. And out of all the things that anyone has ever told me that gave them the most benefit, it was turn off all the notifications on your phone. That's the one that comes up the most often. And all I had, it was just kind of like a, like a half pager, I was like, this is what notifications are costing you from the loss in attention. So you should turn them off. Unlike, mm-hmm. Unless it's an actual emergency, you shouldn't be getting a notification for it. Right. It's absolutely right. It's, it's so I, I put together this seven part series called Become Distraction Proof. And in, in one of the installments is about how to, how to basically optimize your tech 
to win the war, right? To win the war for, I, I, I call this the, the war for your attention span, right? And of course, the first one is turn off notifications. Now, right. if, if you want to take it one step further, it's delete your social media apps off your phone or at minimum, move them to a folder in the very back. And, and otherwise, it's just too tempting. People just really, it's just really hard to get past that addiction. And the same with your inbox apps, move it to the last screen on your phone. Here's one, just get rid of the clutter on your phone and on the desktop of your computer. So if there's apps you're not using, ditch them. You can always re-download them real easily. Just get rid of them. Yeah, or stick them in a folder. Or stick them in a folder. And then learn how to quickly turn on your do not disturb. Make it easy for yourself. Boom, be able to hit it and, and keep it enabled. Here's one that a lot of people don't think about, and that is to make your wallpaper either all black or in my case, my wallpaper is a lot of people have like pictures of faces and all that. Right. Very distracting. And 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 again, it's it's you want to try to eliminate things that cause your eyes to do right. this, right? And so my wallpaper, and I even give an example in this series, is a picture I took, a nighttime picture of the Milky Way galaxy from my driveway. I live in a really remote area, so when the, when the stars, when there's no moon, the sky is just like an That's amazing right. You playbook. and me both. And uh, so I have that on my phone. It's dark. There's a few stars, but it's dark and whatnot. And uh, here's one that, that I found to be really super helpful for me is to turn off the raise to wake feature. And it, and it lights up, right? To show you the notifications and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just picked my phone up. And notice there's nothing on. Right. And uh, I find that to be really helpful. And so uh, those, those, those are a few tips regarding dealing with your technology. There's really, I, I think, some other good tips. One of the most overlooked distractions of all is the visual noise that's right in front of you. And that's your desk. Yeah, my desk is... is one of those things I'm working on, like <laughs> so much cords and junk and, and just crap because I'm always like, I'm, I got to rewire this thing and I got to get this light in and I got to get this set up and then I'm going to get to this soon. So it sits on my desk for six months. So a little suggestion for you is get a like a little portable table, TV tray, whatever, put it off to the side of your office spacer. That stuff that you would have in front of you to remind you, put it on that. It's amazing how distracting, we don't even really realize it, just the visual noise around us is. So all my desktops are gray. My monitors are all dark colored or black. My desk is black. All my accessories are black. And I don't keep anything on my desk very rarely. Once in a while I do, but I get after myself. That is light colored that would distract me from exactly what I'm focusing on or what I'm working on. Right. And now I'm, I have, I'm like everyone else, right? I have to constantly catch myself too. I'm not, I'm not perfect with this, but at any given time you walk into my office and you will see my, my workspace is clean and somewhat distraction proof. 
And, and it really does help me, you know, get a whole lot done. And with more time, we could get into other things like the best use of managing or the best way to manage dopamine and, and things like that. Well, people could dig into that more. I think everybody needs to, to be honest. And cutting out distractions was a game changer for my business. It was also, I would say it was also a game changer for my life because then instead of working 80 hours a week, I'm working 60 hours a week, right? I mean, at the start when we were, mm -hmm. you know, ramping up, but that extra 20 hours, I wasn't doing anything productive. It was just getting distracted, paying attention to emails I shouldn't be paying attention to, taking phone calls that are crap, people calling me night and day, trying to sell me shit, and all of that worthless time was the time that I could be spending you know, getting my business together. Now I don't have to work 60 hours a week and I can take my daughter to swimming lessons in the morning because our business is focused and, and we know what we're doing, right? And we're not distracted constantly, especially by the phone, you know? That's, that's, oh, it's, it's just, I agree with you. I think it's one of the most essential things that you can do to improve your work life and your personal life and, and a little side benefit, research by this guy named Glenn Wilson at London Institute of Psychiatry, I just remembered this. He found that persistent interruptions and distractions reduce our IQ by about 10 points. Hmm. Well, there you go, people. <laughs> I think one question that, that is really easy to ask yourself is when you see a notification, are you answering the notification because you're really interested in what the notification was, or are you doing it just to make the notification go away? <laughs> and a lot of times it's just to get the little red circle to go away or the number to go away or whatever it is, right? You're like, I don't, I have to get rid of this distraction so I won't be distracted later. And then it just pops up with an excuse to give you another notification five seconds later. So that's right. And you know, so Interesting you brought that up. It doesn't matter what your motive is for answering the notification. Your brain gives you a little dopamine hit. That's it's right. that dopamine hit that we become addicted to. It's a slot machine. And, and that's a that's same same concept, right? And so then what happens is when you get into what we call the struggle phase, which is that phase right before you become really focused, right? Where it's really where there's like tension building up. And, and so then what happens is we become self-distracted. We, we self-medicate. Oh, I'll just, you know what, before I get into this, I'll just look at one more email or right. I'll, I'll flip my phone over just to see, right. If, if something's there. So again, it doesn't matter if you're doing it just to get rid of the notification or, or, you know, if you're think you might be truly interested in, it basically becomes kind of an excuse it or does. a scapegoat to not get into that state of hyper-focus. So. Hey, Greg, I don't want to go too much over time on our, on our recording time here, but there's something that has recently been kind of really gnawing at me. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this, this shift. I mean, I just wrote a book called Puretainment, which is about essentially vertical video platforms and entertainment okay. platforms. But 
the thing about it is you click because you're interested in the first video. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you like, if it's YouTube or if it's something else other than TikTok, it's you have to click the first video to start the feed, right? TikTok mm -hmm. just starts playing by itself. But so there's there's something you're interested in looking at, but every other video that plays after that, you didn't ask for. You didn't select it, mm -hmm. right? You didn't go to, like I was saying, back in the day, and I'm not saying the old days are great or anything, I'm just talking about choice, right? Mm -hmm. You used to go to Blockbuster and you had to research each one, like read the box, look at the picture, and you had to select what you were going to watch, right? right. Mm -hmm. And then on TV, as there was more channels on cable television, you had more choices, but you had to pick out of the available choices of which one you're going to pick at the time. And then when it came to streaming, right? Well, now I got a million networks with a million shows to choose from, and I can pick any of them. But if you're watching 15-second video clips, you're not choosing it, right? Right. It's just trying to learn what keeps your attention long enough to get to the next video. Mm -hmm. And sure, you can train it. You can do some searching. You can click like on all the chicken videos and cat videos that you want, and it will give you more of those. But you're still not selecting what you're watching, right? right. And if you take that time that you've spent, the average user, we're talking 90 minutes a day, 90 minutes a day of watching stuff you didn't decide to watch, Mm -hmm. you could have used that to do something that you want to do. Wow. Right? Yeah. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying if you want to watch a bunch of videos about chickens, just search for chickens and go watch those. You don't need <laughs> the feed to try and guess what you want, right? And I mean, it's also it comes down to that distraction thing. How many times, you know, have has somebody told you that they, oh, I went to watch such and such or I answered this notification and I lost five minutes because they're or they're on their their lunch break, they spent it watching 50, 50 second videos instead of having a conversation with their family or their friends mm -hmm. or something. If you like that, go ahead and do it. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying it seems like it's an illusion of choice, right? I, I completely agree with you. And it, it seems to me kind of what's at play there is are two, two things that the designers of the platform are taking advantage of in regards to human behavior. One is the what's next curiosity, right? Right, and and then the the other is our brain's desire to conserve energy and not by not making a decision. Making decisions requires a lot of processing and energy of our brain, just like creativity does. In fact, both of those exercises are probably the most energy consuming activities our brains can do. And as we've already said, our brains are wired to take the easy way out. That's right. And the easy way out is just to let the next video play, satisfy our curiosity on what's next. You That's know? right. And now you're watching people do dances poolside or they're playing <laughs> practical jokes on their kids. And you're like, I didn't, decide i was gonna go watch practical jokes today like exactly yeah it's different if you're like oh i'm gonna go to this show and i'm gonna watch it you know but hey greg i don't want to i don't want to go too long today we should okay. probably cut it off here i think we had a fantastic discussion though greg's website become distraction proof 
com, yep. and we'll have that in the show notes. And Greg, thanks so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Matt. It was great. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed Digital Marketing Masters. Check out our back catalog of episodes for more than 200 interviews with top digital marketers, authors, and productivity experts. Stay tuned for the next episode where we talk about more AI tactics and applications you can start using right now, just like me.